Have you ever wondered if we are alone in the universe? Is there any scientific evidence showing that an intelligent designer created the heavens and the earth? Welcome to Darwin or Design on Tampa Bay's Christian Talk AM 570 and 910. You may have heard about the debate over intelligent design and Darwinism. Find out what the evidence says about the origin of life and mankind, and just what the experts are saying. Darwin or Design, brought to you by the C.S. Lewis Society. Now your host, the author of Doubts About Darwin and Darwin Strikes Back, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College in Trinity, Florida, Dr. Tom Woodward. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Tom Woodward. I'm the host each week on Darwin or Design, and I'm here across from the technical wizard uh, par excellence, Bill Carl, who is our technical director and who helps me to run the program. Thank you, Bill Carl. Excited to be here. Excited for another great program, another great guest lined up right, today. We are excited to have on the other end of the line out in Washington State, none other than Dr. Steve Meyer, who is well known to anybody who follows the writings and the research going on in the intelligent design movement. But, of course, before we bring him on uh, the uh, program here in a minute, I just wanted to thank the C.S. Lewis Society, our weekly sponsor. The C.S. Lewis Society, an organization founded originally on the Princeton University campus in the mid-1970s, led by students. Now it's transferred to Florida, to the campus of Trinity College of Florida, where for the past 20 years we have been holding seminars, debates, lectures, uh, symposia, all revolving around evidence for design and evidence for the designer having made himself known in a decisive way in the Christian revelation. So the C.S. Lewis Society, up and running again for 20 years, but uh, able to minister through many channels, including our apologetics.org website. We welcome you to that website, and feel free to contact me, Tom Woodward, the director, and the best number to reach me at is the college number, Trinity College General number is 727-376-6911, and I'm at extension 337. We are excited to have on the program today Steve Meyer, who is well known through the Unlocking the Mystery of Life video, the DVD, which features him especially in part two. Are you there, Steve? I'm here, Tom. Uh, nice to be with you. It's great to have you on the program today. There's a lot happening, isn't there? Uh, there, things are heating up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, the the main genre, the main topic of discussion that we pivot around from week to week, uh, moving out in different spokes from that uh, center of the wheel, is the core question: Is there evidence of design? And of course, can you also detect patterns in nature that are the likely to be only the products of an intelligent agent? And that raises, of course, the, the philosophical question, who is the designer? And we're glad to go into other evidence that can shed light on that question, and we do that from time to time. But the core question of patterns in nature that really reflect design is, to some extent, is the at the center of your research and your work starting at Cambridge University. Do I have it right? Well, that's right. Uh, um, the, the Many people, I think, first of all, just uh, definitional clarifications okay. in order. A lot of people are confused about the debate about Darwinian evolution, and there's an awful lot of, uh, of opinion that, uh, I, uh, that has uh, surfaced where people say, look, we can combine Darwin and, and the belief in God, therefore, you know, there, there's no problem. And that really skirts the central scientific issue, which is whether or not the, the central claim of Darwinism and, and chemical evolutionary theory is correct, and that central claim is that there is no evidence for design, that the that, that living things give the appearance of having been designed, but that appearance is an illusion because a purely undirected process, uh, natural selection acting on random variation or some similar 
uh, process um, is responsible for for that appearance of design. So design is illusion is an illusion, and uh, I think a lot of people don't realize that that design is a central. It's sent that the. the the, the issue of design is central to Darwinian evolution. It's just that it's negated. And, it's, and so that, that is one of the reasons that the theory of intelligent design was dubbed the theory of intelligent design, is the, the advocates of the theory were not trying to, to uh, question the, the evolution in the sense of change over time, but we were trying to make clear that we were posing a challenge to the idea that the change that has occurred over time has been blind and undirected. And I, I think that's been a, a critical uh, misunderstanding about the nature of this debate. This is not something that um, really you can be neutral on. Either there's evidence of design in nature or there isn't. Mm-hmm. And so the, the key question is not, is there design, but what is the um, logical cause? What is lo- logically uh, bound to be pinned down as the cause right. of that design. Right. Is the appearance of design that all biologists recognize, real or apparent? The appearance of design is the effect. What is the cause? Is it an undirected process that mimics the powers of a designing intelligence, or is it an actual designing intelligence? And what fascinates me about the debate, and has fascinated me for 20 years, is that that, that issue has uh, come in, uh, under the purview of scientific investigation. There are evidences now that, that bear on that question. Just as, you know, there was a great philosophical issue that was around for centuries and millennia, really, which was, is the universe infinite or finite? And you had philosophers and scientists on both sides of that question. That issue came into the, the uh, arena of scientific investigation in the 20th century as, as uh, the great uh, dome telescopes enabled us to, to learn more about the the universe and the expanding universe and the galaxy and so forth. Well, in the same way, uh, the, the issue of design, is it real or apparent, has become a, a, a question that can be adjudicated by scientific evidence. Of course, that process was started with Darwin's claim that evidence was, the evidence for design was merely apparent, but I think with the, the uh, revolution in, in biochemistry and molecular biology in the last um, half century and, and even in the last 10 to 15 years, there are evidences coming online that I don't think can be explained by the Darwinian or any other similar undirected mechanism. And I think what we're looking at is is evidence that is compelling of real design, of, of intelligent design. But the, the, ra- the moment you raise the issue of evidence, evidence for design, do not many people on the other side of this issue say just loudly and repeatedly, there is no evidence, there is no evidence, and then say that you guys never publish any, any evidence in the peer-reviewed journals? Well, th- those are the objections to the argument, but it might be good first to get the argument on the table. Because the, arg- the argument's very clear and compelling. Um, the, the, part of the, the case for intelligent design that I work on is based on the discovery of the information-bearing properties of DNA. And when Watson and Crick discovered the DNA back in 1953, they not only discovered the structure, they discovered that it stored information in the form of a, of a four-character digital code. And, uh, Crick came up with something he called the sequence hypothesis that, that showed that the four, there are four chemicals that function exactly like alphabetic characters in a written language or digital characters in a section of software. In fact, Bill Gates has said the DNA uh, works just like a software program, only it's much more complex than any we've ever written. And this is a very suggestive uh, observation because we know from experience that software always comes from programmers and more, more generally, information always arises from an intelligent source. If you trace information back to its source, whether you're talking about a hieroglyphic inscri- inscription or a section of software 
software code or a headline in a newspaper, you always come to uh, a mind, not to a material process. And so when we find information in the DNA molecule encoded in this four-character code, the most uh, rational and compelling conclusion is that DNA also had an intelligent source. And that's one of the, the central arguments for intelligent design. And so, but doesn't the problem kind of rotate back around to the assertion from the other side that science by its very nature can never consider intelligent causes? And isn't that where your work at Cambridge University comes into play? Well, uh, exactly. The, it's, it's really an interesting aspect of the debate that the, the ID proponents are making evidence-based arguments. And, and by the way, these, these arguments are based on our, our uniform and repeated experience, which is the basis of all scientific reasoning about the past. This is part of what I investigated in my doctoral dissertation. Is how, how do scientists reason about the past? Well, one of the key rules is that you should not invoke causes that are... Uh, exotic, that is, that are um, the effects of which we don't know. Instead, uh, uh, Charles Lyell, uh, the great geologist, Charles Darwin, the, uh, the, who, who was obviously uh, involved in formulating um, evolutionary theory, they had a rule of reasoning about the past. And that rule of reasoning is this, is that, if, that uh, you should be looking for what, what, what Lyell called ca- the causes that are now in operation or presently acting causes. So I... I ask myself a question. What is the presently acting cause? What is the cause now in operation that produces digital code, that produces information? And we know of only one, and that's intelligent, intelligent agency or intelligent design. So by Darwin's own rules of reasoning, by the rules of reasoning that are pervasive within the historical scientific disciplines, intelligent design uh, is the is the natural logical conclusion, and that is also to say that intelligent design is a perfectly scientific inference. It's it's not only based on evidence, but it's using the same rules of scientific reasoning that are used by scientists investigating the past everywhere. So, so basically, when people make the inference to a designer, they're using the what we know observably of cause effect patterns in the present exactly okay. and so and, and and the irony there of course is that we're using the Dar- the the methods and rules of reasoning that darwin himself pioneered for biology mm-hmm. and coming to a decidedly non-darwinian conclusion now you guys are very very out there in discovery institute you're uh, if i remember at, at, in the leadership positions of the center for science and culture is that correct well, that's right. I, I direct the, the Center for Science and Culture here in Seattle, in Seattle and we Washington. have uh, um, quite a number of scientists and scholars right here in the Seattle area, but we also have scientists uh, whose research we fund or who are affiliated with us in various ways who are now all the way around the country and in some cases around the world. So, that's very exciting. Uh, we, yeah, we have about 40 different affiliated scientists, and then there's a larger ID movement of, uh, of scientists and scholars in many places, and we're involved in uh, in for, for, uh promoting their work and uh, getting conferences started and so we're, we're very active in, in lots of ways our, the foundation of our work though is is scientific research and right. sometimes it's scientific research and also research in the philosophy or history mm-hmm. of science because the question of design the question of origins is a question that's right on the cusp between science and philosophy and uh, both both subject areas are are relevant right. Well, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Darwin or Design. I'm Tom Woodward, the host, and you're also listening to Steve Meyer. Dr. Steve Meyer received his Ph.D., I hope I have it right, Steve, from Cambridge University in England. 
That's correct. In yeah. philosophy of science and uh, did his dissertation on exploring different ways of approaching, scientifically approaching the origin of life issue. And of course, that is one of his expertise areas. Uh, we're going to be coming back and talking in the next segment about the bombshell movie coming up in just a few weeks on um, theaters across the country. We're referring, referring, of course, to Expelled, No Intelligence Allowed, starring Ben Stein. And Steve, uh, you'll be able to come back in the next segment and talk about your part in that movie and some of the amazing things that are revealed in that movie. Can you hang on? I'd be delighted. Okay. Thanks for tuning in to Darwin or Design. I'm Tom Woodward. Welcome back to Darwin or Design on Tampa Bay's Christian Talk, AM 570 and 910 WTBN. Once again, here's the host of Darwin or Design, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome back to Darwin or Design. I'm Tom Woodward, your host each week. I am a professor of science, history of science, and theological issues such as apologetics, evidence for the credibility of the claims of the Judeo-Christian revelation, uh, the credibility of especially the claim that there is an intelligent designer, an architect, an intellect behind DNA, behind the complexity of life, behind the universe itself. And that has been our focus these past 18 months as we've been up and running. If you're listening on the internet through bayword.com, we welcome you. I know some of the people I met this last week in Philadelphia when I was speaking there, giving a little conference in northeastern Philly. So welcome those Philly listeners that are joining us for the first time this week on bayword.com. You can always go 5.05 in the afternoon, Saturday afternoon, and click Listen live. If you're listening, of course, from the Eastern Time Zone, you'd have to make adjustments moving westward or going into Europe. I know we have some people listening in overseas each week, and we appreciate that you guys out there as well. We are listening to and interacting with this week one of the leaders. I would say he is um, he's the skipper of the ship of intelligent design research and education. And I know uh, Steve Meyer, Dr. Steve Meyer, has been a friend and a mentor to me in things related to design theory. And it's a real privilege to bring you on the program and to talk about your work and up, especially your upcoming book on DNA. You'll be able to share with that and maybe share with us about that in the next segment, hopefully. Is that okay? That's great. Okay. Tom. Good to be with you. Yeah. Good, good to have you again. We are moving into the discussion now of Expelled, the movie that we've been talking about since late August or early September, starring the intellectual and actor, comedic actor Ben Stein. Of course, we have been anticipating the release, and it's now announced for the weekend of April 18th. We know that movie theaters across the country are signing on to carry the film. And people out there that are in the sound of this program can always influence if there's any question, if they're tipping, you know, kind of weighing whether to or not to carry the movie. I think that you can go to your local theater and express your desire to have Expelled come to your theater and see all the information on ExpelledTheMovie.com website if you want to follow through on that possibility. But I can say that when I saw the entire film just a few weeks ago here at a local private showing, I was excited and very impressed with the production. It is beyond excellent. It is phenomenal. It's fabulous. It's extremely well done, extremely educational, and entertaining. I laughed frequently. I was moved and touched. And Steve Meyer, you are part of the story of that movie. Tell us how your writing an article for a peer-reviewed journal kind of wound you in some hot, or at least your colleagues, in some hot soup, some hot uh, situations, and how that wound up being part of this movie? Well, unfortunately, I was 
partly responsible for one of the scientists who are featured in the movie being expelled. Hmm. Um, the scientist in question is uh, Dr. Richard von Sternberg, who has two PhDs, two earned PhDs in biology, and was the editor of a scientific journal that was published out of the Smithsonian Institution. Uh, I submitted an article to his journal called The Proceedings of the Biological Society of Washington, which is the oldest peer-reviewed journal in uh, in uh, America for biology, and I submitted it in 2004. Uh, Dr. Sternberg sent it back to me with some uh, uh, critique and comment from the peer reviewers. It had been sent out to, to three peer reviewers and uh, the, the, with the notice that it was accepted pending my successful completion of the corrections that the reviewers had recommended. Hmm. I accomplished those, submitted the article, and didn't hear anything for a while. And then in early August of 2004, uh, the, the, the spokes came off the wheels, the hubcaps <laughs> came off the wheels, everything. There was a huge uh, brouhaha at this, uh, that was started at the Smithsonian as subscribers to the magazine started to raise alarm. Uh, I had argued in the, in the article that the Cambrian explosion, uh, which occurred 530 million years ago, uh, in which there were 35 to 40 new uh, animal phyla, new major groups of animals that mm -hmm. came into the fossil record very suddenly, was something that was best explained by intelligent design. And the reason that I, uh, my, my reasoning in arguing for that was that to build a new organism, you need a lot of information. And the Darwinian mechanism has been shown, I think, and I argued in this article, to be insufficient to produce the the amount of information that was required to produce these new animals and instead what we know from experience from our uniform and repeated experience is that is that information always arises from an intelligent source so the, mm -hmm. the most likely inference was that was that uh, the cambrian explosion was something that you would have required that, that required an intelligent infusion of information um, the uh, uh, sternberg uh, 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 was immediately uh, harassed and uh, questioned. He was denied his access to his office, uh, to his samples, his scientific samples. Uh, his his electronic key was uh, d disabled for a time. Um, his colleagues were questioned and interrogated about uh, what his religious and political views were by people, high-ranking high people in the museum. There was uh, a Later, an investigation done of his um, case by the Office of Special Counsel, a watchdog protection agency within the federal government. They found that there was a concerted effort on the part of the Smithsonian officials to discredit Sternberg, to spread disinformation. There were all kinds of rumors flying, and they were apparently coordinated. Uh, it, it, it just got to be a very nasty thing. They t attempted to get him fired over at the NIH, where he also held an appointment. And eventually, he was demoted. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, this is, this, this, his story is featured. This is one of the things that got Mr. Stein on, on the scent was that there were scientists, very high ranking, uh, top scientists at, at, at excellent universities who were being, um, harassed, uh, suppressed, uh, denied tenure, denied research funding, and in some cases demoted or fired because of their questioning of Darwinian evolution, or in this case, um, you know, it, it was the, the Wall Street Journal did a piece on the Sternberg case, and they said, you know, unfortunately, you know, poor Sternberg wasn't even the heretic. The heretic was that guy Meyer out there in Seattle. So, <laughs> well, let me jump back in and just say yeah. that the, the the brouhaha that stirred mightily 
And this was, I believe, summer, like August of 2004? Started in August of 2004. It really, mm-hmm. uh, there, were, there was stuff in the papers coming right. out for, for a full year after right. this. And, but, and there were new developments all right. the time. But, but, you know. but wasn't it, uh, to some extent, an issue of whether or not there had been uh, editorial malfeasance that there was a sneakiness on the part of Sternberg that he really didn't get even your paper peer reviewed. And wasn't it that a case that a, a straightforward examination of the files showed that he had indeed received OKs or green well, lights qualified, you know, pending your, your corrections? There was editorial malfeasance by definition because uh, you're not supposed to publish papers that argue for intelligent design. But uh, <laughs> that, I mean, that, that's what it came down to. But the actual the actual charges were that he he didn't have it peer reviewed. There was no peer review file. Um, and those were reputed. The peer review people were all from the Discovery Institute, (laughs) and on and on. Uh, There's a requirement that Mm -hmm. people that publish in the journal uh, join the society and pay their dues. At one point, there was a rumor that that said that I hadn't paid my dues. We had to go find the canceled check to show that this was false. Um, It it just went on and on. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in any, they also the the rumor was that 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 was being spread. It was that Sternberg had no professional qualifications in science and that he was actually a priest and that he was working for the Bush campaign and, uh, you know, various sins. But no, in the end, um, the claim was made that, yeah, that there was editorial malfeasance. There was no peer review done. The president of the society that oversaw the publication of the journal Mm -hmm. actually um, reviewed the file and emailed Sternberg and confirmed that he had reviewed the file and everything had been in order, that the paper had been properly peer-reviewed. This is what really bothers me, because I read just a few days ago, and it was confirmed by Paul Nelson on one of the Intelligent Design blogs in the last day or two. I read in Donald Prothero's new book, which I believe is something like Fossils, you know, um, What They Tell Us or something. He's a professor, I believe, at Occidental College in California. And in Prothero's book, where he deals with your paper and Sternberg's having it peer-reviewed, he says that the reviewers basically despised it and covered it over with, you know, terrible criticism, but he published it anyway. That's a complete... You know, how, how could he know that? The peer review file is confidential, and one of the reasons that Sternberg was skewered is that he refused to turn the, the peer review file over to the wider group of inquis- inquisitors. Mm. He, he, w- he followed procedures and, re- and showed it to the, uh, the, the, the president of the society. Mm-hmm. And the president confirmed that it was in order, and it, it is a matter of scientific ethics that you don't review the identity of blind pre- peer reviewers. Sure. And uh, he actually attended, uh, I learned later, a, um, a seminar at the National Institute of Health on the ethics of peer review. And uh, he was quite satisfied that he had done everything by the book. And in fact, what he had been asked to do by his colleagues who were so outraged at his transgression was against the ethics of peer review, which was to cough up those names. They wanted wow. the names to be able to go after those scientists. And what they really and, and want... I, 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 I saw the comments. You have to see the comments as an author. Mm-hmm. And the, the comments were overall positive, but there were a number of very uh, helpful scientific critiques of the first draft, which I addressed. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, the, that's the process uh, that, that's supposed to occur. Mm-hmm. And, um, sure. Yeah. No, it, it's it's quite a remarkable a remarkable uh, 
you know, episode. And, and of course, it lands itself in the movie, in the Expelled movie. I believe it's, it's, it's what very... the, the filmmakers uh, later told me. They called it the inciting incident. It's mm-hmm. what, you know, mm-hmm. when Ben Stein heard about mm-hmm. this, he got on the scent. Okay. And, and this doesn't, this is this, something, right, something's wrong right. here. Yeah. And of course, the irony is that when the Expelled movie team uh, went to actually follow up and talk to some of these museum officials they in turn their their team was expelled that's the, what i heard from, apparently from the they Smithsonian. were thrown out of the museum and, and it, they wouldn't answer questions it, but, it even yeah. shows that even shows yeah. that in the film well you're yeah. listening to steve meyer and i'm tom woodward your host for darwin or design we're covering so much exciting territory steve meyer is the director of the center for science and culture at the discovery institute the discovery institute a nonprofit think tank in seattle washington is responsible for research overseeing funding to some extent and encouraging research on the theory of design and getting the word out as to what it really is all about to the public to the states to the you know state school boards and we're going to talk about the state school board board of education in florida and all that's come through that brouhaha in the next segment steve meyer you'll stay with us you bet okay Um, thanks thanks for listening to darwin or design the best is yet to come Welcome back to Darwin or Design on Tampa Bay's Christian Talk, AM 570 and 910 WTBN. Once again, here's the host of Darwin or Design, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome back to Darwin or Design. We have one of the most exciting conversations going that we've ever had on our program, and it's with Steve Meyer. Steve Meyer is a graduate uh, with an undergraduate degree and master's degree, if I remember, in the uh, area of geology. Do I have that right, Steve? No, I had uh, undergraduate training in, in, in physics and geology, and then I worked as an industry scientist okay. in the, physics. But no, my, my master's and PhD are in history and philosophy of science. History and philosophy of science from Cambridge. That's correct. Which links you with C.S. Lewis. Well, I suppose we used to go see where he hung out a few times. That's yeah. right. Okay, very good. Well, I knew C.S. Lewis taught at Cambridge University from 19, about 54. Yeah, he was happier at Oxford, though, apparently. But uh, well, they, he was... they didn't treat him well, so he had to go to Cambridge, and then he pined away for Oxford. It's the story <laughs> we always heard. Well, of course, it was Cambridge that offered him the tenured, uh, I shouldn't say tenured, but the uh, the chair, an endowed chair of uh, literature, Renaissance sure, and, sure. and um, so forth. And we're diving right into the realm of the origin of life, DNA, the uh, Expelled movie, which is coming out in just a little over a month on April 18th. We encourage everybody who is listening to this program, either for the first time on a reg- or on a regular basis, to be a part of the tsunami, be a part of the word getting out all over the place, uh, to bring people to the movie theaters on April 18th to really help put Expelled no intelligence allowed on the top ten, and maybe even the top five of movies that uh, premiere that weekend. Uh, Steve Meyer, of course, on a phone with us from Washington State, is at the center. It really is the kind of spark plug in the controversy from the article that he wrote. Steve, now we've talked about the, the article. Give us the full name of the article. I know it's a bit technical, but I, it would be valid to hear the name of the article. Uh, you can put me on the spot here. It was technical. Uh, it was the origin of biological information, the higher taxonomic categories. Okay. I will give you an A- minus on, on rapid memory. Am I pretty quick? There? Yeah, if you were very if good. If you go to our website at discovery.org, it's, it's uploaded. Yeah. One of the ironies of that whole case was that there was this immense attempt to suppress the the the, the 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 topic of intelligent design, the argument for intelligent design, but because of the publicity that ensued 
as a result of the persecution of the editor of, of Dr. Sternberg. Uh, Wall Street Journal articles, articles in the Washington Post. Uh, Sternberg was at one point on O'Reilly Factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the uh, the article received tremendous attention, and we were at one point we, we'd sent out you know hundreds. I think we were up to around 500 uh, letters that had come in from scientists all around the world wanting the the physical off print. Mm. And in August of 2005, when the uh, um, when when the issue resurfaced all over again, when the Washington Post covered the Office of Special Counsel's report on what had happened to Sternberg, we had something like 17,000 downloads of the article off of our website. So. So at one point, my dad told me I should send flowers to uh, the National Center for Science Education, which was so active in in coordinating the effort to suppress the article. So that's amazing and uh, and very instructive that sometimes the attacks on intelligent design really rebound, re, you know, re, you know, kind of boomerang. I guess they really uh, bound back in the face of those who were trying to suppress. To well, and I think on. Expelled is a good example of that, right? Because uh, there was a real, a real nasty article about intelligent design titled "The Plot to Kill Evolution" as mm-hmm. a, that was a cover story in Wired magazine, mm-hmm. and uh, that uh, article was the the thing that ignited the interest of the the producer hmm. of Premise Media, Walt Ruloff. Uh, the, he, he read the article and thought, you know, this is an interesting story. Why why are they working so hard to suppress this, hmm. this these ideas? The, the article, had, I, I had spent two or three hours with the reporter from uh, from Wired. And Wired, of course, is a tech magazine. It's interested mm-hmm. in nanotechnology. I told them about the nanotechnology inside cells, the digital information storage and transfer capacity, how it all works, and why we think it points to design. None of that made it into the article. Mm. It was all, uh, uh, we were portrayed as tr- as having hatched mm-hmm. a theocratic plot to impose religion on the unsuspecting mm-hmm. science students of America. Well, you want to take over the world, don't you? Yeah, something like that. That was how we were portrayed. <laughs> so, yeah, well, you were you were you were uh, puffing me there with you all were, nice accolades yes. at the beginning, but what that really means is I'm the head pariah. You know? <laughs> so. they, they they portray you as a, you're about to read the Kumbaya, uh, have everybody sing Kumbaya in uh, science class. Yeah, right, okay. right, exactly. So, okay. But anyway, you know, sometimes these attacks do redound to the benefit of the ideas because they, they provide uh, a spotlight mm-hmm. on on the work and and fair-minded people find their way to it. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and in this case, it's resulted in a, in a major film production with a very a very smart but also very funny guy this mm-hmm. ben stein is he, he's he's well quite the, a kick well the, the thing that got me when i when i saw the prior you know the what i call sneak preview uh, the clothes showing here in clearwater is that i was astounded at how well he engaged each of the in people he inter- interviewed on both sides of the topic uh, and and with his dry wit just drew out their real deep thinking their inner honest thinking, even though they may not have wanted to reveal it. Well, yeah. people know Ben Stein from two different arenas. Mm-hmm. Uh, they know him from, of course, his famous role in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, where he's the deadpan teacher right. saying Bueller, Bueller. Putting everyone to sleep. Yeah, putting everyone to sleep. They know him from his game show. Mm-hmm. They know him from the funny ads and various movie appearances. He's been a lot of Hollywood films. Mm-hmm. But in addition to being a genuine funny guy, he's a first-rate intellectual. He was mm-hmm. a law school professor at Pepperdine. He was the top of his law school class at Yale. 
He wrote speeches for two different presidents. He maintains a monthly column with the American Spectator. Hmm. Uh, he, he's, you know, so he's a real smart guy. I think he's written something like 17 books. Wow. And so he, he's quick study, and he, he, he zeroed down on the key issues very quickly. And, of course, and he, he has paid for it himself, he said, by losing several of his closest friends who will not, who will not talk to him anymore. Oh, about this issue? Yes. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. over this issue. And um, I think, Bill Carl, you actually uh, shared that that audio file with me. It was um, a press conference. Well, right, so he's I'm lost. i to hear that. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's our fight, but... I, I've had, you know, I have had the same thing happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were talking about the expelled mm-hmm. film a minute ago, but you know, I've I've gotten, or sorry about the the the, uh, the publication of the Smithsonian right. a mm-hmm. year or two after that. One of my closest friends from grad school, uh, you know, wrote me a really hostile email. He's a science professor, and and it was full of accusations. And he'd read all the all all the propaganda from the other side, and it was you know, it was, kind of, it was he basically cut the relationship off right. because. Wow. He didn't like the fact that I'd publish his article. Well, let's so. let's let's move from the from the bad news and yeah, and the, and, right, and the, right. and the dark dark twilight to the dawn of a new day. Okay, that, that good. a little rhetoric here. Uh, Florida has been a border uh, land on this fight, you know, between the the Darwin and the and uh, let's say people who want at least question, not so much bringing intelligent design into the public schools because even Discovery Institute does not advocate the actual inclusion of design. I think I have that correct. That they, they 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 encourage the questioning that is the presentation of evidence both pro and con of the current right. theory. Right. Our our position on this is is uh, is nuanced, but let me explain it. It's, it makes good sense once you hear it. The most of the biology textbooks teach the modern theory of Darwinian evolution called neo Darwinism, mm-hmm. and uh, on and they they they. Teach the evidence for the theory, but they don't give any sense that there's an argument about the theory itself. Mm-hmm. And we first uh, got involved in science education policy in 2002 when we were asked to testify bef- before the Ohio State Board of Education. And at that point, we hadn't had many peer review. We, at that point, we had peer-reviewed scientific books supporting intelligent design, but no scientific articles. And we thought it was premature to, to ask the board to, to teach students about our theory. Sure. So what we asked them to do instead was to teach the scientific arguments for and against uh, the, the standard neo-Darwinian theory that's in the mm-hmm. textbooks, that, okay. that students should learn to... They should learn the theory in its full glory, and they should also learn the scientific criticisms, criticisms of the theory as they exist in the scientific literature. And there mm-hmm. are such criticisms are legion. They're mm-hmm. they're in lots of different journals and subdisciplines of various uh, uh, parts of biology. So um, the board liked that. They approved the policy, and after the policy had been approved, we were then told, you know, this is a great policy, but there are no textbook materials that enable teachers to do this. So the board went ahead and developed their own uh, kind of modular um, materials for teachers in Ohio to use. Since the Ohio policy passed, it was called the critical analysis policy. Six or seven other states have adopted a similar science education policy. Um, Ohio actually ended up reversing itself, but all the other states have, have, have held. Um, and uh, knowing, knowing the need, we set about to produce a textbook, and it, that has come out. It's called Explore Evolution. Repeat that one more time. Yeah, it's, the title is called Explore Evolution. It's published with Hill House Publishers, a, a London science publisher. Mm-hmm. And it is available. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there's a, uh, a link on our website at Discovery. Uh, and the, the book is um, jointly authored by, uh, by um, Paul Nelson, uh, Jonathan Moneymaker, 
uh, Ralph Silkey. Who has been on this program. Who has been on your program, mm-hmm. and um, Scott Minnick and myself. Mm-hmm. So there are uh, four, uh, two philosophers of science, two, two biology professors, and a science writer. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, we think, a terrific way to teach teach part of the controversy about Darwinian evolution, the, the controversy right. about whether or not the theory is sufficient, whether it, there are two parts of Darwinian evolution, the theory of universal common descent, the idea that all organisms are related by common ancestry, and the idea that natural selection has the creative power to produce all the change mm-hmm. that has occurred over the history of life. And uh, we present the most current arguments for those two parts of the theory, and we also present the most current arguments against those two parts of the theory. And that's, uh, that is what we are advocating mm-hmm. uh, for, for the, the high schools and for early years of college as, okay. a, as a way to teach about this. So, well, since we're down to about a minute left yeah, in the sure. segment, I, I need to just uh, to, to bring it to a head, the State Board of Education, and we'll continue this in the next segment, uh, hopefully, uh, the State Board of Education voted to basically teach a Darwinism-only policy fudged it a little bit, put in put in the words of theory of evolution, but really left in place this rather dogmatic assertion, uh, as it is now, that the Darwinian picture or the Darwinian paradigm, the Darwinian theory, is the central foundational organizing principle of all biology. And I have my suspicions. And, and the legislature didn't, like, legislature didn't like that too much, and so they've proposed an academic freedom. Well, that's, that's what we're getting to in the next yeah. segment. If I can just, uh, just wind yeah, up terrific. real quick. If, if you could just come back with us and uh, evaluate that claim that neo-Darwinism or the Darwinian paradigm is the organizing principle and tell us in the next segment, if you could, a little bit about why the uh, legislature uh, should pass this new proposed sure, uh, Rhonda yeah. Storms yeah. Uh, Act, which is all about academic freedom. And, of course, right. this program really is at the root about hearing both sides of this issue. Steve Meyer, you're listening to, uh, is on the other end of the line in Washington State. He is the director of the Center for Science and Culture of the Discovery Institute. And you're listening to Darwin or Design. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Darwin or Design on Tampa Bay's Christian Talk, AM 570 and 910 WTBN. Once again, here's the host of Darwin or Design, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome back to Darwin or Design. We're having a very fruitful and exciting and educational discussion of things pertaining to design and Darwin, Darwinian evolution and the public arena, the public education system here in Florida, which is struggling to come up with a sane and sensible policy to to deal with these issues and to present a balanced and really educationally responsible approach on this issue. We have at the other end of the line, my, I could say, mentor, friend, colleague, and really one of the top scientists working in the theory of design, Steve Meyer. Welcome back, Steve. It's it's great to be with you, Tom. Thank you so much for joining us and taking time out. We are basically trying to capture in a nutshell your take on this assertion given out in that new policy approved by the State Board of Education that Darwinian theory is the foundation, the organizing principle of all biology. And implied in that is if you get rid of this, man, you'll throw everything in chaos. Would you respond to that assertion? Well, there's so much to say about it. First of all, there there are uh, a 
long, there's a laundry list of, of scientific criticisms of the theory, things, anomalies that have built up over the, the decades since it was first proposed, and even the modern theory, um, anomalies that even the modern theory can't explain. Uh, the, the, there's, the, the big theory, the big problem for the theory is that it can't explain the origin of fundamentally new form. The mm. mechanism of natural selection acting on random variation has been shown to be able to produce very limited minor changes, uh, the acquisition of antibiotics resistance, the slight changes in the shape or length of, of uh, finch beaks and Galapagos finches, uh, acquisition perhaps of different different colors of uh, uh, coloring in moth wings and that sort of things. But where you get birds and finches uh, and bacteria from in the first place is a question that the, that the theory has never really satisfactorily answered. And lots of scientists have, have raised questions about the potency or the sufficiency or the creative power of natural selection and random mutation. Um, and so for that reason, you have now, uh, I think, approaching 750 scientists, PhD-level people, who have signed a statement of dissent from Darwinism, arguing that uh, that, that the natural selection and random mutation don't produce the kind of complexity you see in, in living organisms, and they don't, and it doesn't account for the new form. So how can, how can the people in the State Board of Education blind themselves to this and go ahead and approve a statement that seems so um, extremely absurd on the, on the face of it? Well, it, it, it's common to get a tremendous amount of pressure from the scientific establishment. It, official science is walking lockstep in, you know, the, behind the Darwinian ideology. So you have uh, the National Academy of Sciences, the National Science Foundation, uh, the um, Na- National Center for Science Education, the, uh, you know, the, uh, the AAAS, the American Association for the Advancement of Science, these sort of organizations, uh, the official science bureaucracy is is strongly Darwinian and will brook no dissent. And mm-hmm. it's quite easy for a state board of education, which does not include uh, scientists, and uh, to, to be intimidated by these uh, statements of unanimous support for the orthodox theory. But if you get into the science journals, and this is what we did in Ohio when we were there mm-hmm. before the state board, we presented them with a, a great big fat binder of peer-reviewed scientific articles that were raising evidential challenges to different aspects of, of Darwinian Darwinian theory, and it's not hard to find these articles. Okay, so so then they, one of the places where we can at least bring some improvement to the situation is to support a law that really will guarantee, we hope, um, the freedom to question these things. Yeah, the, what the law will do is it will it will permit. Uh, teachers to uh, to tell students about some of these it, it will permit pe- teachers to discuss the problems with Darwinian theory openly. The textbooks are unanimous in their affirmation of the theory. They do not provide the students with any information about scientific challenges to it. If a, if a teacher wants to introduce some of those challenges with a supplementary article or a, a supplementary textbook like our Explore Evolution, this bill would, I, I think, how it's written, it would it would protect protect teachers for doing that. And I understand that by the time this program airs, we may have some very interesting results because Ben Stein will have already made a presentation 
to a press conference. Right. Yeah. And I, I should make clear, too, that the bill is not a, is not a bill about curriculum. Mm-hmm. The, the, the curriculum is decided by local school boards. Sure. So it, it is uh, it, and is not a bill about science standards. That's already been decided. What it is is a teacher protection act. It mm. t- protects teachers uh, who want discuss the interesting aspects of the of, of the debate that aren't being covered in in the book and you know imagine a scenario that, and that that what might include intelligent design as well because if um, it's not a mandate to teach intelligent design. It's not an encouragement to have a, uh, an intelligent design-based curriculum or to teach the controversy about intelligent design. But if a student comes into the classroom and is asked and asks his teacher about, say, Michael Behe's book, Darwin's Black Box, or some of the publications that you know, there have been major university presses that have that have produced books on the controversy about Darwinism and design. One called Debating Design with Cambridge. University Press. Imagine a student wants to know what this debate is about. Is the teacher going to be free to discuss that openly in a way, in a manner that's uh, consistent with his or her professional judgment about mm-hmm. how to conduct a, a discussion with students about a controversial issue? Or will the teacher be punished simply for allowing that discussion to take place? Mm-hmm. This, this bill... I think will protect teachers' rights to function as teachers and to. And so, this bill is something that you guys out at the Discovery Institute have looked over, and you think it's a good bill. We think it's a good bill. What's wrong with academic freedom? You know. <laughs> well, I certainly am on the side of academic freedom. I think most of the people listening to this program would be. And of course, it really gets back down to understanding the wonders of biology and really appreciating the wonders of DNA. You're preparing a book, aren't you, on DNA? That's right. I'm, Tell us I'm a little bit about with, that. Yeah, I was signed with Harper Collins, uh, an imprint of theirs called Harper One, mm-hmm. and. The, the working title of the book is Signature in the Cell, Intelligent Design, and the DNA Enigma. Mm-hmm. And the DNA Enigma has two parts. The first part was solved by Watson and Crick, and that is the, the, the first mystery around DNA was the structure of the molecule, sure. how it's put together, where the hereditary information is stored, and how it's stored. But the deeper, more profound mystery that has now deepened over nearly 50 years is where did that information come from? And there have been a number, my book tells the story of the progressive attempts to solve that mystery and the failure of those attempts to solve that mystery within the framework of standard materialistic evolutionary biology. Is, uh, is, there, to, is there a timeline for the publication at this yeah, point? Yeah, we're looking at, at 2009. The publishers are debating the, the most auspicious mo- moment. Uh, <laughs> next year, as, as many of your listeners may know, is mm-hmm. the uh, 200th anniversary of Darwin's birth mm-hmm. and the 150th anniversary late in the year of the origin of species. Uh, the, the anniversary of the birth is in February. Mm-hmm. The anniversary of the origin is in November. So this next year will be a year in which uh, the Darwin or design uh, controversy will be uh, hotly debated and, and very much in the news. And so my, the book will come out sometime in 2009. I'm uh, motoring away. I've got the, well well over half of it written, and I'm, I'm excited about it. That's great. Well, we'll just uh, sort of you know stay in touch and, and try to keep people aware of... Uh, that date, the release date, as it draws closer and closer. How's that? Well, that's great, Tom. Okay. I appreciate the plug. Well, we're <laughs> glad, glad to do it. I know you have a wonderful uh, book out already through Michigan University Press that you made a, played a major role in called, if I remember, Darwin Design and... 
public education? Darwin, Darwinism designed public education, and yeah. it deals with the issue we were just talking about, the, the need for academic freedom in, mm-hmm. in, in discussing the issue of biological origins. And, and the amazing thing about that book is that it has many Darwinian evolutionists that contributed uh, at least short pieces in the book. Well, our concept there is that we should, the teachers should teach the controversies. Mm-hmm. And so we decided we ought to practice what we preach and make sure that <laughs> we have all, all points of view rec- uh, represented in the book. That's great. Well, you're listening to Steve Meyer. Steve Meyer has been a friend of mine, but uh, more nationally and globally, he has been the director of a very important scientific research institute in at least part of the subset of Discovery Institute that deals with intelligent design day in and day out. The Center for Science and Culture has been under the leadership of Dr. Steve Meyer, graduate of Cambridge University in England uh, for the last, what, about four years, five years you've been at the helm? Well, we actually started the program in 96, okay. but I was still working as a college professor half-time, and mm-hmm. uh, in uh, 2002, I came full-time to Seattle. Okay, 2002, yeah. so you've been there full-time. Yeah. Let me ask you another question as we get ready to wind up the, the program. I have been reading a lot of scientific research in recent months, and especially this past year, which seemed to show that the core of the theory of neo-Darwinism, that all-important motor engine, of random mutations filtered out supposedly wondrously and um, through natural selection, creating new genetic uh, files in the database or the hard drive of the cell. That core of the theory seems to be entering, for me, a state of unraveling, a state of collapse, a state of, if you will, meltdown, especially since Michael Behe's book, The Edge of Evolution, came out just about eight or nine months ago. Could you give us a sense of how widespread is the awareness of serious problems with the core, the engine of macroevolution? Uh, it's very widespread. And I, I think that the, the mechanism of uh, the neo-Darwinian mechanism is insufficient. And I think for that reason, the theory is effectively dead. People just are, don't, aren't willing to recognize it yet. But mm-hmm. very serious people, um, not, including ourselves, but b- beyond the Discovery Institute, mm-hmm. I think are recognizing this. There's a group of biologists meeting soon in uh, Switzerland or Austria. Uh, they are uh, Darwinian skeptics. They think the mechanism of neo-Darwinism is completely insufficient. They're not advocates of intelligent design. Some very prominent people in biology. And uh, That's the group of 16 that yeah, Susan, exactly. Susan Mazur just broke. On the, yeah, the exactly. Yeah. And uh, there are two basic problems with the mechanism. One is the problem, it's sometimes called the problem of combinatorials. If you have, uh, uh, you want to spell a long word, uh, or maybe write a paragraph. You you need to say you need 100 letters to do it, but you got 26 possibilities at each at each site. It turns out that the number of possible combinations of those letters grows geometrically as the length of that sequence grows. And the same wow. thing is true in a DNA molecule or in a protein. Mm-hmm. And so it turns out that the ratio of the number of the ratio of the of the the number of functional sequences mm-hmm. that there are. Right to the number of total sequences is so small that you're, it's not that you're just looking for a needle in a haystack. You're looking for something on the order of an atom among all of the atoms in the galaxy. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it, you're looking for... Um, and so Darwinian evolution works in the following way. Once you have a, a, a new variation that arises that confers some survival advantage on an organism, then it is supposedly preserved and passed on. All that's fine, 
But the problem is, how do you find those new, those new variations, those new adaptations? You need to build them out of proteins. That's the, the, the biological change is denominated in, in proteins. But even finding a single protein, a single new protein among that space of all the possible arrangements of the subunits of protein in the, in the time of the known universe is incredibly implausible. Mm-hmm. And so the, you've got this, just this problem of random mutations. Try, you, know, you can think of it by analogy to, mm-hmm. to words in a sentence or in a paragraph. Start changing things at random, yep. and you will inevitably degrade meaning before you find any right. new meaning. Right. And you that's can, you, the same problem that's you can't, in biology. You can't quickly hop to another island of function. Exactly. You have to hop exactly. halfway across the universe. Thank you so much, Steve Meyer, for joining us. We've had one of the most powerful and interesting programs we've had in my memory. Uh, I've had actually a crust. Um, interactor on the internet who listens to my program almost every week and he seemed to think that I was um, overdoing it when I said that the expelled movie and this whole issue is approaching the point of a possible uh, cultural or intellectual revolution. Would you think that we are potentially in the beginning stages of a cultural or intellectual revolution? I think the beginning stages, it's push-pull. We have an incredibly strong argument. The evidence that comes in every week, every month in biology journals Mm -hmm. only confirms the case for design, Mm -hmm. but there is an establishment that has the tremendous power to suppress the evidence, and that's what the the film Expelled is about. It's really a battle between between truth and power, between evidence Mm -hmm. and and, uh, the suppression of the evidence. Yeah, so we, we, we don't th- know the outcome of that. That's right. what makes it exciting. But we're in the thick of it, and we thank you for being on, the, as far as you we bet. can tell, on yeah. the side of truth. You've been listening to Steve Meyer uh, at the other end of the, uh, the um, phone out there in Seattle, Washington area. We thank you for joining us. Would you come back in a couple more months and give us an update? Oh, I'd be delighted to. Okay, you. thank you yeah. so much. Well, thank you for joining us on one of the more rich, enriching programs. You're listening to Darwin or Design. Be back with us next week for another exciting time together. Yeah.